Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, peace on earth, and you may be seated. On uh, this past Sunday, I spoke on the subject of the good news, the message of the shepherds to the angels, rather, to the shepherds. And in the middle of that, the single announcement was made to the shepherds by this angel. They're watching their flocks, abiding in the fields. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the angel told them about the birth of Jesus Christ that they would find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And I thought about this today, uh, why that message would come to them by a single angel, and then it would seem like the entire sky would burst with a host of angels, an innumerable company of angels the Bible speaks about when we come to the church. But the heavenly host, Luke 2, 13 and 14, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, what I read in our text, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The birth of Jesus Christ brought the potential of peace to everyone who is saved by the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And peace has come from heaven to earth in the form of of the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 tells us, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Isaiah 9 and 6, one of the great messianic prophecies, the coming of Jesus Christ, this powerful statement of who he would be. He shall be called wonderful, counselor, or some people put them together, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. I'm glad to know that Jesus was the mighty God come in flesh, not confused about who he was or is. He's not the second person in a Godhead. He was all of God in flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Amen. He was the everlasting father. The Son was the everlasting Father come in flesh. And He was the Prince, the Prince of Peace. Matthew one twenty three told us that He was Emmanuel, God with us. And the reason Jesus could bring peace because He was God in flesh and was a mediator between God and man. The Bible said... There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Not a separate entity, 
but the man, Christ Jesus. So here's the way it works. When the government of God is established in your life, his peace will follow. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, he rules your life. And where he rules, there's the absence of conflict between you and him. I want you to think about the comparison of the rule of God's kingdom in your life and the rule of civil law in the land because they're they're similar. Romans 13 tells us that all authority is of God. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'm not going to show this passage on the screens, but I want you to think about how civil law being obeyed brings peace in a land. Righteousness, the Bible said, exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And where the law is followed, there is peace. When it is broken, there is turmoil, strife, and even anarchy. Romans 13 and 1, and I want to go through this passage in the New Living Translation to make some comparisons about peace in the land, in a civil land, government, and spiritual peace that comes in our lives. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those who in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. He asked the question, would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. If you're not speeding, you don't have to worry about getting a ticket, do you? If you're not robbing, you don't have to fear being arrested for thievery. But if you are, then you have fear or should have fear. Verse 4, the authorities are God's servants. Sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants. Sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment but also to keep a clear conscience. Unless the law of the land violates the laws of God, we are to submit to them. And if you're living in submission to the law of the land, then you have peace in your life. And when we have a country of law-abiding citizens, there can be peace in the land. And only where there are laws broken and people living in rebellion to those laws Do you find the absence of peace in a country? And in the same way that there is peace on earth in a country when there is the rule of law and citizens are in submission, the same is true about the government of God. If you are submitted to the government of God in your life, then the peace of God will be there. Now, Isaiah said 
of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now he's speaking in the global sense, in a universal sense about all of life. But I think you can make an application to your own life. That the more the government of God increases in my life, and he has charge of every facet of my life, the more the peace of God can rule in my heart because God's government is ruling me. I'm submitted to his government and I have peace with him. Amen. When you rebel against the law of God, there's enmity, hostility, there's guilt and fear. And you should fear God. Our God is a consuming fire, the New Testament says. So she, we should live with godly fear and God will judge all sin. Amen? In a general global sense, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ to earth at Christmas time made finding peace with God possible. And we know that it wasn't his birth that brought peace, but there had to be a birth before there could be a life and a death and a burial, a resurrection, and the return of His Spirit to change our hearts forever. The word peace in Luke 2.15 or 14 is the same as the Jewish expression shalom, where they would say peace to one another. The phrase goodwill toward men needs a little bit closer look because when you read this verse in the King James Version of the Bible, and I guess I had this idea, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I think you know the difference between peace in potential and peace in practice. In other words, when Jesus came to earth, the potential of peace came to earth. But it was not received by everyone because it's only received when salvation is received. Goodwill toward men. I want to look at this passage, these three words, just a little bit. Actually, it's four words. I guess I should learn to count all the way to four. Goodwill toward men. That's what Luke 2.14 says. Goodwill means God's good pleasure. God is happy. God is pleased. You have found favor with God. And while the expression is universal... As I've just said, the, the application is personal. Peace with God is possible, but it's really up to me now to make peace with God. I could not have made peace with God without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's done what he can do. Now I have to do what I must do to make peace with God. Now, when I teach here and I try to instruct our other ministers... We try not to use 20 different translations of the Bible. There are some that are solid and some that are not. But I believe that sometimes we compare translation with translation or commentaries or helps to shed light on a Bible that a translation that was written several hundred years ago and the meaning of even English language changes through the years. So I want to read several translations of Luke 2.14 to shed a little light on this phrase, goodwill toward men. The ESV, English Standard Version. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom 
he is pleased. New American Standard. And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. New International Version. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The New Living Translation, you'll see this on the screens. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now the reason I've taken the time to show you that, theologians would say you should triangulate a verse, not strangle it, but triangulate, triangulate it. In other words, look at it from several angles. Because if you just take peace on earth, goodwill toward men, it sounds like just because the baby was born in Bethlehem that there's going to be peace on the earth for everybody. And Jesus said, I'm not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Because, because of me, there will be the division in households among friends. There will be people who receive me. There will be people who reject me. And the Bible speaks of wars and rumors of wars toward the end of time. So we know that there is not universal peace on earth right now. But when Jesus Christ came, he came to bring peace to everyone who would find favor with him by salvation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth and goodwill toward people like you and me who have found a right relationship with God. Talking about peace on earth that is promised to people like us. But peace is not just sitting out in the wonderful woods, hearing a babbling brook and watching leaves fall off the trees. It's not just emotional tranquility or even the absence of stress in your life. But the peace of God originates when you find peace with God. The peace of God that passes understanding that I will get to later, hopefully, only comes when you make peace with God. Because the absence of peace means that there is a conflict. It means that there's a struggle, a war. There is enmity. There is a lack of reconciliation. There's something wrong between two parties. Right? Now let's talk about peace with God. Because I believe that this is the essence of the peace that comes to us through Jesus Christ who came at Christmas time. I want to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to go there twice. I'm going to go there about our peace with God and then another subject related to that. And I'll show you some verses on the screen in just a little while. The Lord makes this deal with Adam and Eve. Eat any tree you want, the fruit of any tree, leave one alone. They disobey. They eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes are open. They're ashamed. They recognize their nakedness. They run and hide from God. God comes to talk with them in the cool of the day 
and they have run from his presence. They have hid from him because of shame. The voice of the Lord calls to them in the garden, Adam, where are you? And the Bible says that they're hiding and they are ashamed. And Adam says, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you that? He told you something was wrong with you. He told you that you needed to run and hide from me. Who told me that you are not worthy to stand in my presence? Who told you that we have now fallen out of fellowship? That there is no longer peace between thee and me. And then the Lord says, what have you done? Have you eaten of that fruit? And Adam did what every good Husband does who takes responsibility. He blames it on his wife. And ultimately he blames it on God. You know, he kind of says, I was doing really good by myself. And that woman you gave me, it's all her fault. And the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And she said, the devil made me do it. The serpent beguiled me. So we had fellowship, disobedience, the entrance of sin, and now we have enmity, the lack of peace. And the Lord begins to curse. I don't mean like, you get cursed when you hit your finger with a hammer. I know you don't do that, sorry. You're unsafe friends. And the Lord cursed the serpent. And then he put enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent. And in Genesis 3.15, this is such an amazing thing. At the beginning of the problem, God prophesied a solution. He said, one of these days, a descendant of this woman is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. But right now at the entrance of sin, I'm promising a day when I'm going to bring this all back together and I'm going to be, bring peace. He doesn't say that here. That's the subject tonight and that's what eventually will happen. He says to Eve, you're going to have sorrow and childbirth. Your desire is going to be to your husband and he's going to rule over thee. That's a curse, isn't it? All the ladies are like holding that in, that amen in real tight. Some views of this say that Eve, you're going to want to rule him, but he's going to rule you. But anyway, 2018, don't translate it however you want, but you can pretend as much as you want. The whole principle of Submission, because Eve led him into sin, and so now he's going to be her head. And then he tells Adam, now these are really words that would sting a wife, I guess, not every wife, but Eve, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree that I commanded you, saying, thou shalt not eat it. He said, I'm cursing the ground. You're going to live in sorrow all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles are going to grow up. You're going to eat of the field. In the sweat of your face, you're going to eat until the day that you die. I took you out of the dust, and you're returning to the dust. Now, that's the beginning. And then the Lord, in Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live, Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Separation. That's what sin always does. Isaiah 59 and 2 speaking directly to Israel, but the principle is true. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, because of the entrance of sin, an original sin... Death passed upon all men so that all have now sinned. The Bible said, as in Adam all die. So here we are. We learn a lot about what happened back at the beginning. But my text today is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill or God's favor toward men. In Romans 5 and 1. Paul wrote this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, starting all the way back at verse 12, we've got an inheritance. We have power. We've been translated. We have redemption through His blood. Amen. For through Jesus Christ, God created everything. He's the head of the body. And it pleased him that in him should all the fullness dwell. Verse 20 on the screens. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you... Everybody please say me. Me. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I'm thankful that because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he made peace by the blood of his cross. And everything that was lost in Eden was brought back in the cross of Jesus Christ. I think we ought to thank him right now. Oh, hallelujah.
Amen. So I say again that the peace of God that we so desperately need in our lives can only be possible when we make peace with God. And even those of us who name the name of the Lord who are called Christians or call ourselves Christians. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we feel a lack of peace between us and God, we need to do some introspection. Years ago, one of my great hero elders said, every once in a while you need to go into the prayer closet and ask God to burn up all the chaff in your life. The writer of Hebrews would say that we should Cleanse our, we should cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh. But the Bible said we should lay aside every weight in Hebrews and the sin that does so easily beset. Whatever would stand between us and God would bring back that separation, that shame, that running and hiding, that fear of being unworthy in His presence. Back in the garden, God did something merciful to Adam and Eve. He taught us a principle of substitution. The innocent would be sacrificed for the guilty. And innocent blood would be shed. God sacrificed innocent animals, shed blood, took their skins, and clothed Adam and Eve. And we learn from the very beginning of Genesis that one day the innocent one would suffer in our place. And he would make peace by the blood of his cross. And that by his cross, he would reconcile us to God. He would bring us back. And that his righteousness would be like those animal skins back in Genesis. That it would cover our nakedness and our shame. So that when we would stand before God, even right now, I'm not talking about just in the judgment. But when you get up in the morning, that we do not stand there in our own righteousness for our righteousness is but filthy rags. But when I stand before him, I stand covered by the blood. I stand right with God because there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So I can stand before him having said glory to God in the highest and on and earth peace and then them with whom God is pleased that have found favor with God. When our favor has come because he took our place on the cross and he covered our sins with his righteousness and his blood and though our sins were scarlet they have become white as snow. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. He has reconciled us to him. So at Christmas time, when we talk about peace, I want you to think about the peace that Jesus Christ provided for us by his birth in Bethlehem, by the entire work of his life that culminated in his death, burial, and resurrection on earth peace.
We turned from our sins in repentance. We had faith in what Jesus did on the cross. We were buried with him by baptism. We were raised to walk with him in the newness of life when we received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as I preached on Sunday, we become a new creation. And there's peace that has been made possible because God came to earth. Amen. That's where it starts. But I want to take it to the next step because peace between people also came through Jesus Christ. Peace was lost between God and man and it led to strife between people. The first murder in human history was a result of a brother who allowed his broken relationship to God to cause him to hate his righteous brother. And ever since those early days of Genesis, I believe that every human strife, every human dysfunction, every human personal personal problem, personal, excuse me, personal relationship problem, it isn't necessarily a direct cause of sin. It doesn't mean, just so you don't misunderstand me, It doesn't mean if you have a problem with a person that you're a sinner, though you could be. But it is a result of the entrance of sin and what has happened ever since. Because this is not in my notes and it's not where I'm really headed tonight. Let me just pause to say this now. But the Bible is very clear that if we do not forgive people who have wronged us, that God will not forgive us. Jesus told a story, I believe in Luke 18, of the servant who was forgiven a debt he could not pay by his master. And as soon as he was forgiven, he went out and found a fellow person, a peer, who owed him a debt he could pay. And he took him by the throat. And he demanded of a peer something that he should never have done. And Jesus told that story to say that if you don't release that person from their debt, you can read it any way you want, but Jesus said in that story that he would reinstate the debt that that man owed. I don't care how wronged you've been in life, You will never equate to the wrong that you have done to the holy nature of God. You say, well, I've never been as bad to God as they've been to me. Yeah, but he is holy and you were not. And if you're holy, it's only because he declared you holy and is making you holy. So I want to just kind of make sure we get the ground rules of this peace with God and peace with people, right. So Cain and Abel, Genesis 4 and 1. Adam knew his, Eve his wife, 
She conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She again bears brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. He's a farmer, grows crops. He just proud of what he grew. Wanted to come and give it to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The only way you give the fat to the Lord of his, is, this, is if an animal is sacrificed, by the way. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. God looked at Abel's offering, brought an animal, had to shed his blood, the fat thereof. That pleases God. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. Cain, I don't want that. I'm not pleased with you bringing me those turnip greens. If they were collard greens, I would think about it, but anyway. <laughs> and Cain was very wroth. Cain got mad. And his countenance fell. Now, I believe that God is very clear. And he doesn't demand randomly and thus not know. We do not have a record of conversations between God and Cain or God and Abel. We do not know how God showed favor or respect toward Abel's offering. Perhaps fire came out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice that happened throughout Old Testament history. Perhaps there was an audible voice of God that came out of heaven to Abel and the Lord said, good job. We don't know. We don't know how God showed his disapproval of Cain's offering, but we do know that God spoke to Cain in a way he could understand whether audibly or in his spirit, God can speak into your mind without passing through your auditory canal, through your hearing. He spoke to Cain. And he showed them in Eden what you do when you bring an offering to God. There was an animal, there was a sacrifice, there was blood. You would have to believe that Adam and Eve shared that story with their sons about what God did for them. I'm not trying to make an argument for what is not written except to say no other time would we say that God is unjust in his expectations. So I just trust God wasn't unfair, whatever that is, to Cain. So, Cain's offering is the first example we have of man-made religion. Come as you are, 
bring what you want, live how you think, believe what accommodates your own values. As long as you're sincere, God will take it. That's not anywhere close to Scripture. Cain, I'm sure he thought, wow, look at what I'm bringing to God. I'm so proud of this. And God just says, no, I don't want that. And when you bring to God something that is less than what he expects, you can pull a cane on him and get mad at God. Countenance can fall. Or you can do the right thing. So, first example of man-made religion. Genesis 4 and 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? Now the word accepted is a big word in the Bible. We are accepted in the beloved. Right? The only way I'm accepted by God is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And God is saying to Cain, all right, look, you messed up. That's not what I want. No, I don't know. I'm not trying to make a case for this either. Cain may be thinking, if I bring God a sacrifice, I'm going to have to go to my brother and get it from him. He's a sheep herder. He's the guy that raises livestock, and all I've got is produce. If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted... And if you do not well, sin lieth at the door. And in the Hebrew, it is the imagery of a lion crouching at the door, ready to spring and devour you if you don't do the right thing. There's an imagery there that God says, Cain, you have a choice, but I want you to know right now that sin is ready to pounce on you when you do not do the right thing. Cain has a choice. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If you will do the right thing, you will have power over sin. But if you choose to do the wrong thing, you'll be a servant of sin. So I want you to see how his guilt, how Cain handles his guilt. I'm talking about peace on earth. What's Cain going to do? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. If you don't, sin's lying at the door. And here's the deal. When you don't have peace with God, and I'm talking about genuine peace, and I'll do another unplanned insertion here. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about godly sorrow that works repentance not to be repented of, and the sorrow of the world that worketh death. Several years ago, I preached a message called conquering condemnation. And there's godly sorrow that will always draw you to God, make you want to pray, cause you to want to repent, cause you to want to do the wrong thing. And there is a sorrow of the world, psychological guilt, the condemnation of Satan and sometimes our own mind that will push us away from God, that will drive us from God, that will cause us to want to get away because we are condemning ourselves. So if God is convicting you of sin, it will draw you to an altar. 
But if Satan or your own conscience is condemning you, it will drive you away and you can always know whether it's God or psychological guilt or condemnation from Satan. All right? So, here's Cain. He's got a choice. We all know, we, most of us here today know what he did. And this is what I have found. And the scripture bears this out. When you do not have peace with God, you either repent and make it right, or guilt will drive you to blaming other people. What they did. Sometimes blaming God. And you now will shift the focus off yourself to other people. And that's exactly what Cain did. Genesis 4 and 8. And Cain talked with his brother. Excuse me. Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. First murder is the result of a man who had a chance to do right even when he did wrong. God's merciful, isn't he? Chooses to do wrong. His brother convicts him. His brother's righteousness, Abel, the blood of eight righteous Abel, the Bible says. His righteous brother Abel the pleasure, the acceptance of God on Abel's life is eating Cain's lunch. He's bitter. Well, maybe he thinks, if I get rid of him, I'll be the only one God has left. He'll have to take me like I am. I don't know what went through his mind. Just kind of think about these real live people who did sinful things. This, I mean, it's just, it's just two brothers, right? Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. We're already getting ready to have a murder. There's only four people in the world at this time as far as we know. So, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he, he said, I know not. And the famous question, am I my brother's keeper? Who put me in charge of keeping track of my brother? Isn't it amazing how people try to fake God out? Like, seriously, <laughs> if God knew enough to come to you and ask you, you just had a conversation with God earlier? Anyway, the answer to this question is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Anyway, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And the Lord curses Cain and drives him out and I'm not going to go into the consequences that Cain faced for this murder. But I want you to see the correlation between peace with God and peace with people. 
because there is a direct correlation. Instead of dealing with his own sin, he despised his brother because he was pleasing to God. The peace that Cain lost with God affected his relationship with his brother, his fellow man, and it always does. Now I want to give a scripture to help those of you who are arguing with me right now in your own mind. Because there really are times when it's not your fault. There really are. And the Bible grants this in Romans 12 and 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it is up to you, live in peace. Now I'm talking about peace on earth that starts with peace with God and extends to peace with other people. And sometimes you have made peace with God and you're trying to make peace with that other person and they will not let you. But the scripture is clear that if you've wronged them or they've wronged you, you go to them alone first and you try to make peace. Jesus is very clear about this. If you're in church and you're offering your sacrifice on the altar and while you're there getting ready to worship God, you remember you got a problem with the person. You leave your gift at the altar. You go first. Jesus said this. And be reconciled to your brother. And then you come back and you worship God. John said in his epistles that if you cannot love your brother that you can see or your sister, How can you have, and this is my word, the audacity to say that you love God that you cannot see? Because your brothers and your sisters were created in the image of God. He said, but you don't know him like I do. But I like what the Bible says about people who don't mind speaking evil of dignities and people who run down everyone else. The Bible said that when Michael the archangel was contending with the devil over the body of Moses, that he dared not, durst not in the King James, bring a railing accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. An angel is contending with the devil, and because the devil has a place of authority given by God, an angel will not revile the devil, but turns him over to the Lord. Not because the devil is honorable, but because the angel is honorable. There are some people that do not deserve by their actions to be shown decency and respect. But if honor and respect is in you, and you honor God, then you do it in the, in the name of God and because of God. All right, here we go. don't care about notes and scripts so much, but they do help me. 
but I'm not on them right this moment, but we're coming back. If it be possible, and really, sometimes it is impossible. Sometimes they will not respond. And sometimes that person is not alive. And they died. And reconciliation was never affected. And there's nothing you can do about it now. So you don't need to live in condemnation for the rest of your life. Because it's not possible at this point to make peace. And this is not blasphemy, the unpardonable sin. Everybody please say, peace on earth. earth. It started off a little nicer than this, didn't it? Easier. So easy when that baby was born. The angels were saying all this. So here's, here's peace on earth. Peace with God gives you the potential to have peace with other people. And when you do not have peace with God, I'm kind of summarizing this point, or have accepted His peace and goodwill, favor in your life, usually you're not happy with yourself. There's inner turmoil. No peace with God, no peace within. And then there's this, with other people. Someone said, the trouble I'm having with you is the trouble I'm having with me. That's not always true, but it's often true. And that's why Jesus said you can see that little speck of sawdust, that moat in your brother's eye, your neighbor's eye, but you can't see the telephone pole in your own eye. A plank, a beam, made out of the same thing, wood. One's just about 10 feet longer than the other one. And that was specifically talking about self-righteousness that you would condemn someone else while not seeing yourself in the mirror. So when you're down on yourself, you're most likely going to have problems with other people. And some symptoms of that are comparison and jealousy, envy. You know, jealousy is being afraid you're going to lose what you have, and envy is an inordinate desire to have what's not yours with that desire to get it in an unethical way, like coveting. They're all sister terms. Peace with people on earth was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he break down the barrier that existed between us and God, but he broke down the barrier that exists between people and others. So let's get a few scriptures. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ, you are alienated, now you're brought near. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now this specifically is writing about Jew and Gentile. All right? He's talking about those who were afar and those who were near. And Paul was saying that there was a middle wall of partition 
that separated Jew and Gentile. The greatest prejudice, hatred, and animosity was between the Gentiles and the Jews. And Paul said when Jesus died, not only did he make peace with God, but there is a wall of separation between people and Jesus tore it down in the cross. He blew it up, having abolished, verse 15, in his flesh, the enmity in his own body. He destroyed that, that strife that existed between people. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two, Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace on earth, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I don't have time to go into all the background of the New Testament writings, the epistles, and all in the book of Acts, all of the strife between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians and the acceptance of this new Gentile church by the Jewish Christian church. But it was a huge struggle that was dealt with over and over again because people had centuries of animosity built up that Jesus came to rip down so we could get along, so we could go to heaven together. So peace on earth comes when we have peace with God and find peace with other people. My goal today was to review this idea of the peace that Jesus Christ gives. He came to bring peace on earth. So I want to close with three scriptures. Our worship team can come and give us hope. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I love this phrase because rule is umpire, daysman. Let the peace of God be the umpire of your life. When God grants peace in your spirit, very often it's an indicator of the pleasure of God in a decision, in a relationship. The peace of God. I need to feel peace when I'm pursuing what I think is right. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you're also called in one body and be thankful. Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Be careful for nothing or anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The media team, go to verse 8. Finally, brethren and sisters, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, 
Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul said, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. I wanted to read this whole passage in Philippians because sometimes we grab a little verse and miss the context. Would you stand? I pray tonight that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your heart and your mind. For me, that means even when it doesn't make sense, even when chaos is breaking loose on planet earth and in my life, peace that is beyond understanding nobody can figure it out how do you have peace in this storm how do you have peace in this trial how do you have peace in this chaos well I have peace with God and I've been praying about it and I've chosen to not worry about it and I've got thanksgiving in my heart for my salvation that's what Philippians 4 is saying So I've got this keeping power in me. Keeping me from going crazy. Keeping me from losing my mind, my cool, my confidence in God, my hope in eternal life. It's keeping my heart and mind. I've learned some things. I've received some things. I've heard some things and I've seen some things in other mature Christians and if I'll practice them Paul said if you'll practice them the God of peace will be with you if you want the peace of God to rule in your heart if you want peace on earth at Christmas time would you take a few moments and join me in the altar